if I'm in a stick mood, I, I would be worried if I'm a data analytics professional. In the carrot mood, I actually think that we have a real opportunity to fundamentally change how teams work. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Data Masters podcast. My name is Nate Nelson. I am sitting with Mark Marinelli from Tamer, who's going to introduce the interview guest and the subject of today's show. Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Nate. Uh, good to talk to you again. Uh, let, let's get on with the show here. Um, so data ops is something we've talked about an awful lot. Um, it's emerged in the last few years as a way for organizations to better manage their data pipelines and, and organizations. In this episode, we're going to hear from Chris Berg. Uh, he's the head chef, founder, and CEO of Data Kitchen. They're a software company that aim to help data professionals regain control of their data pipelines. He's going to talk about his experiences in the software industry across the board and how those experiences led him down the data ops path. He's going to define what data ops is and why companies should give data ops a try. Okay, here is my conversation with Chris Berg. The subject we're going to be talking about here, Chris, is data ops. But before diving in, I want us to provide some context. So let's talk about where data was a decade, even half a decade ago. Um, what didn't we understand then that provided an impetus for a new approach to data management? Yeah, so why don't I tell that in, in, in terms of a story in my career? So. You know, I've spent many years working in, in software, both as an individual contributor and, and research labs and managing teams. And then about 2005, I switched over to the world of data and analytics. And um, I actually had to explain people what it was. I had to take a shorthand for, hey, it's just charts and graphs. So it wasn't like now where analytics are in sports or you see advertisements for, you know, big data or AI and, and on TV shows. And so the, the world's changed a bit in the last 15 years. And my experience in running those data and analytic teams for years is having someone who does um, what we now call data engineering or data science or data visualization working for me was that my life was a bit frustrating um, because I often found that things weren't going right, that the data that was provided to me was broken, that a system went down, that someone put some new, new things into production that broke. So dealing with the inevitable phone call from sort of pissed off customers that something went wrong was uh, a really frustrating for me. Uh, and then also the pace at which I could change something once it was in production was also really uh, a challenge. And so it wasn't about having a new tool or it wasn't about, um, it was about the speed at which my team or myself could kind of create something in whatever tool and get it into the hands of our customer to get feedback. And it was taking, you know, weeks or months to deploy things. Um, and then, and then finally, just the pace at which I wanted to innovate, um, and the team wanted to innovate. So this sort of feeling of frustration at the at the slowness, the uh, challenging with the errors, um, and overall desire to do better, sort of led me on this path to look at factory methods to improve quality, how software had uh, fixed its own deployment and waterfall problems, and just how teams collaborate in, in data and analytics. And then my co-founders and I started this company, uh, Data Kitchen, about six or seven years ago. And, you know, we had this idea. We didn't know what to call it. We called it Agile Analytic Operations. We called it DevOps for Data Science for a while. One of our guys wanted to call it Agilitic Ops. And um, I'd read an article from 
from Andy, who's the CEO of Tamer, and he had this term data ops. And we finally settled on that as the right term because it was short. And so that's where we started to uh, uh, talk more about it. We wrote a manifesto. We've been writing and finally wrote in a book. And now people are talking more and more about about data ops as a thing that they should do. For folks not familiar with the concept, could you provide a definition of data ops? Well, I think um, it's a set of kind of technical practices and architecture patterns and cultural norms that focus on four things. And I think the first is really the speed at which you can kind of get things from your brain as a data scientist or an engineer into the hands of your customers, sort of some from fingertips to monitor of your customer um, and making that uh, fast so you can innovate quickly. And then second is trying to reduce the amount of errors that come from data quality or production errors. And then the third is being able to think of um, how you work together uh, as a data and analytic function, centrally, distributedly, and collaborate. And then the fourth is really um, focused on measurement. How do you measure your process to improve? And I think the North Star in all this is that you want to make your customers successful. And so the idea of these agile methods, um, being able to strike the balance between the chaos of everyone running everywhere and the lockdown of people going slow and that sort of happy median between, um, you know, between rigidity and freedom is, uh, you know, it's prevalent in software, it's prevalent in industrial manufacturing. And I think we're trying to stri strike that same customer focus uh, idea and, and balance between sort of uh, lockdown and chaos. And what exactly is required to make data ops work? Well, I think, um, you know, there, there's some assumptions. And, and, and the first is that if you're going to do as an individual contributor something with data, you have a wide variety of tools you can choose from. Um, if you're more technical, you can write Python or write SQL. Um, you can use tools that have very nice graphical UIs. There's a whole market for ETL or ELT tools, for data science tools, for tools that actually build charts and graphs. And all those things are great. Um, and so it's a different perspective. And it's not about replacing those tools with either any super tool or um, changing how you work. Because people love their tools and they're best able to express. Like, I'm a SQL Python guy. Um, but other people like to use graphical UIs and, you know, like like to do things in uh, MapReduce jobs. And, that, and that's fine. Um, and so what it is, is about being able to think differently about how you use all those tools and see them as a system and being able to take that system and look at it from a perspective of how can I iterate faster? How can I deploy faster? How can I get more feedback from my customers while reducing my, reducing errors? So that covers more of the technical side of it. Um, what are the more intangible skills and approaches required to do data ops right? Well, I think it starts with, um, I think, first of all, a change in perspective and a realization that you can reclaim some control of where you are in the organization. And so a lot of data and analytics teams we talk to um, are a bit downtrodden, to be honest, because they're caught between this rock and hard place of like, hey, my data providers gave me crappy data. And hey, my boss expects me to deliver uh, new insight the next day like Amazon. And then, you know, my organization has taken the data and analytic functions and sort of sprinkled it around in the business lines or in IT. And how do I make this all work? Um, and so that idea that you can actually that you can actually go fast, deliver new insight, that you can 
uh, be able to do that with very, very low errors so your customers trust the data. And third, that you actually can work across this big distributed set of tools and people. That's the first realization that you don't have to live with the sort of um, crummy chaos that you have now. And that there's a method and a way to get out of that. And so I think that's the first step is that you can, you know, reclaim some control of 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 your analytic projects and stop them from failing and stop you sort of feeling bad about your work. And then the second is, is like exactly what should you do to do that? And a lot of times what we do is we talk with customers and say, okay, you've got all your data and all your tools fine, but like how long does it take you to deploy something from, you know, your data scientist into production? And we hear months of time. And then we ask them, well, how often do your customers trust the data? Um, how often are you getting errors of on that data or something being late? And oftentimes they say it's dozens or hundreds of times a month. And that's just, it's crazy to me that people live that way. Um, and then, you know, we, we sometimes talk about the Hatfield and McCoy between the self-serve people who do self-service analytics and the central IT team. And so trying to find where, where you start in this, what piece that you want to focus on, you know, do you want to focus on improving customer data trust? Or do you want to focus on, you know, getting more feedback from your customers and iterating quicker? Or do you want to focus on helping collaborate across the whole supply chain? And that's where, where people should, should start. So it's a very different perspective. It's not about like, I need a new tool or I need more data. You need to focus on the factory that, that, that things work. And that by focusing on the factory that creates analytics, focusing on the system at which you do data science and, and, and data engineering, you can then kind of reclaim control of your of your destiny as an analytic team. Could you speak to the consequences from a business standpoint when your customers don't trust your data? Yeah, and I think uh, data trust is big, right? Because what are we trying to do in doing our data work? We're trying to influence people into making decisions based on data. We're trying to help them become a data-driven organization. And the biggest challenge is when you don't trust the data, or more specifically, you don't trust the data and the team that creates the data. Then business users and customers, they're just going to go do follow their intuitions, and you get suboptimal results. And so if you believe in a data-driven uh, world, and that data can make a difference and help people um, with their daily lives and their business lives, then helping people to be data-driven is important. And then trusting that they trust your team and they trust the data that your team produces is essential because there's a lots of reasons why people want to trust their gut before the actual facts that are in front of them. And so, I mean, and there's a whole area of inquiry and in how to get people to be um, more data-driven adopt insights and there's sort of a whole literacy uh, pro program around data. But if you want, uh, assuming that people are literate, um, one of the greatest ways for them not to uh, follow and take insights from data is to attack the messenger, the team who delivers it, or attack the message, the data. And so I think to do that, you've got to be able to build a system that produces data of very, very high quality with low errors. And you also have to be able to respond at the speed of business when um, you're, you present a great insight and your customer asks you 10 follow-up questions, which is not a reason for you to walk out of a meeting with your shoulders down. It's a reason to feel successful. Or when you produce a great insight and your customer says, fantastic, can we put that in production to my 5,000 sales reps next week? 
And in both cases, I've seen and witnessed people who've done and teams who've done great work and had success walk out of meetings with an oh crap. Um, now I've got to industrialize this. I've got to put it in a factory or now I've got to try 10 more things. And those are really marks of success. And instead, they're challenges and, and compound the 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 powerlessness that a lot of people in data and analytics teams feel. Do you find typically that people already know what data ops is or that you generally, you know, have to educate them to some level? Well, the engineer in me likes, you know, we've spent a lot of time trying to define a very precise definition of data ops, right? And we wrote a manifesto and a book and talk on it. And so, it's, uh, you know, the engineer in me likes pronounce uh, uh, good, precise definitions. And the reality is a lot of people don't know what data ops is or they're using it in a different way. There are some vendors who use it as a renaming for ETL or a halo term on on top of their existing tools. Um, And so, but I think the most important part is that people are talking about ops and they are seeing that the changes and the benefits that have happened in software development by adopting agile and DevOps principles that one side of the organization in some of the companies that we work with have already started to do DevOps already run in an agile way and they want their data and analytic teams to work in the same way and to achieve those same benefits and uh, you know if you can deploy new website code in a day why is it taking you three months to deploy 20 lines of sql from your dev environment to your production data warehouse Um, why do you have 10 predictive models backed up and only one has gotten into production and so I think the, um, well, there's lots of different meanings of the term, and perhaps that's what the tech industry always does, is it sort of mutates terms in different ways. I'm really happy that people are talking about it because uh, three or four years ago when we were talking about these ideas, we, were, we would go to conferences and give out wooden spoons and wear chef jackets, and people looked at us like we were aliens from another planet. And having some name recognition around data ops is, is helpful to um, even though we don't go to conferences anymore because they're all canceled, but um, having more and more people talk about it, I think, is good because I do really think the operational side of analytics has a lot of value. It's not just, you know, it's not just for lesser beings. Um, it actually is really important and can uh, liberate people's creativity and, and help them reclaim control of their their analytic destiny. So, Mark, um, Chris is giving us some idea of it, but um, what does the modern data ops ecosystem look like on a sort of broad, big picture? Yeah, uh, the big picture is a, is a big conversation. Some of what you just had, and, and you know, it could be its own thing. But but if I distill it down, in, in a nutshell, it's a collaborative group of data specialists leveraging loosely coupled, best of breed tools to rapidly deliver comprehensive, accurate data to those who are gonna use it the best. Um, and, and that's in contrast to a monolithic platform used by an insular technology team that is always trying to keep up with the demands of less technical data citizens who just want their data. Um, that, that's kind of how we've been doing things before. Uh, think of um, a contrast here of like a NASCAR pit crew versus a locomotive repair yard, right? A NASCAR pit crew is a, all about nimble, fast delivery, backed by this rapid response team of, of dedicated specialists. They each have their own task, all optimized around getting moving in whatever direction we need as quickly as possible. Um, and, and I think 
that that there's just a a big breakthrough here with with technologies, with the skills that we can bring to bear, um, with the ways that we've decided that we need to work together. Um, that you, you pull it all together, the people, process, systems that are involved. There, there's your data ops ecosystem. Would you say that data ops is more geared towards helping the IT side of data or the business side of data? Well, I, you know, I, I, what I think is that the process of doing work and getting insight from data is kind of being broken up into part, different parts of the organization. You have IT or more technical people, and they have a set of technical skills that they're using and tools. Um, and they're actually doing building things like data enablement teams and doing data unification and master data management, uh, building data lakes and data warehouses. And then some organizations have large self-service teams that are embedded in the um, embedded, and they're trying to help give insight to business people. Maybe they're using Tableau or Trifacta or Looker or um, you know some uh, data science tool like Altrix. Or and so they're all doing similar things with data, taking data, integrating it, visualizing it, putting it together. The customer's at the end of this value chain, right? A, a centralized IT group that provides data, a dis distributed group that does uh, visualization data, maybe a third group in some other part of the company that does data science. And when the user says, this looks weird, the business user looks at the data and goes, this is weird, this isn't right. Uh, you, you, this red alert fires up in these multiple organizations. Did somebody configure Tableau wrong? Is the model off? Did somebody put the data in the data warehouse? Did the MDM team get it wrong? And you have these sort of firefights that happen across different parts of the organization. And so um, that leads to distrust. It leads to, you know, uh, business people wanting to hire outside consultants instead of using their internal teams. Um, and it leads to the feeling of these teams that when they come in in the morning, this like the feeling I had of sort of dread of like, oh, no, what happened today? What went wrong? Is it my fault? Is it our team's fault? Is it some other team's fault? Finger pointing and blame. And I think you can the ideas in data ops allow you to get away from that and identify where if there is a problem uh, before it gets to your customer um, or if it happens after your customer, where did it happen? and allows you to fix it quicker, deploy it into production quicker so that you can respond and, and learn from that and also put in tests and monitors to make sure it doesn't happen. And I think so, you know, whether it's a self-service team or a data science team or a IT type team, all of which need to follow these principles because at, at the end of the day, they have a joint shared process that's distributed across the organization. And it's a process that actually is governed by code that they write. And maybe their code is Python, or maybe their code is embedded in a, um, a Tableau workbook. But they're all sort of dealing with these complexity of running a factory, um, but also doing a software engineering uh, type role. All right, Chris, I have a challenge for you. Um, plenty of companies, plenty of people out there are quite content with their data operations uh, and how they've been going for years now. Um, how would you pitch somebody who's already pretty comfortable with their data setup on why this data ops approach is necessary or would at least help them? That's a great question. And it depends on, I guess, on my mood that day. So if I'm in a, if I'm in a carrot or a stick mood, so like if I'm in a stick mood, I, I would be worried if I'm a data and analytics professional 
We've gone through this big boom period. We're entering in a recession. A lot, in fact, 60 to 80 percent of data and analytic projects have failed in somewhat. Um, over half of the, that them aren't perceived as, as either giving value or having some challenge. And so in that case, when budget cuts and you're not delivering value, you may be in trouble. Like you, you know, our, our data and analytics field has gone through such growth. We may be in a period of retrenchment. Um, and so focusing on value for your customer instead of um, focusing on building products instead of just working arbitrary projects is essential. And so the way to focus on value on your uh, on your customer is to follow an iterative development process that's with a technical environment that does that does data ops. And so in the carrot mood, I actually think that if you look at the success of, you know, American Motors versus Toyota in the 80s and industrial manufacturing and applying sort of lean and uh, sort of total quality management techniques. You look at the success of Silicon Valley companies and how they're able to iterate or the success of, of Amazon and the two pizza teams and these uh, ideas of agility and DevOps and software. Um, and you look at the success of, of, of some teams doing data and analytics that I think the um, we have a real opportunity to fundamentally change how teams work, have them be, to be able to not um, live with chaos where they're dreading coming to work or uh, people are quitting and moving on and, and not live with sort of a molasses like slow, you know, process to, to change or to, or to react. And I think um, both those things are true. It's the carrot and the stick. And, and also I think it's interesting how much things have changed in the last two months with, with COVID is that a lot of people have been able to react and change and be very agile. And I think the essential idea here is that organizational agility is really important. And um, that goes, that is, that doesn't mean that data is different. Data is just another artifact that needs to apply these rules of, of these benefits of, of being agile and, and changing quickly and not killing your team in the process. Mark, to your mind, why is data ops an effective approach for data management? Well, data ops is all about speed of delivery without compromising either the coverage of the source data or the quality of the output data. And, and that's new and different. Now, historically, doing data management at scale required painstakingly slow projects, often limited to a subset of the most accessible uh, data. Um, because it was very labor intensive and very expensive to do much else. Um, so that slows you down if you wanted quality data. Or you could run fast and loose, um, but know that your data were not going to be accurate enough for anything but like really rough analytics, you know, qualitative stuff, not, not really key um, quantitative decisions in your business. So that was the trade-off we had to make. But through a combination of technology-enabled automation, um, specialized skill sets, and specialized tools throughout this data supply chain, effectively, we can process 10 times as much data and do it in a tenth of the time with a tenth of the people. And, and so there's, there's really no going back to year-long projects, which might someday produce value um, when every month or every couple of weeks, I can get new trustworthy data um, that, that everybody needs. You've already hinted a couple times that uh, being in the data space, it can be a bit dejecting, uh, especially if your work isn't quite seen as up to par 
Um, Chris, what do you hear around this space from people? Um, what challenges are they facing? Well, I can tell you my own life experience, right? So taking a day in the life of Chris Berg circa 2008. And so I worked for a company that did analytics for healthcare. And we had you know, 10, 000, 10 to 20,000 users of our analytics from you know, sales and marketing to CEOs. And then we had a we were constantly trying to deliver new insight. And I was the COO of a company, kind of had to make the trains run on time. And my boss was a, a doctor who was actually very good at creating ideas and insight. And so he would go off and, and talk to somebody, uh, you know, talk to a, a big SVP and come back and here's an idea for an analytic. And I'd go off with a data scientist and a data engineer and someone does viz and we'd whiteboard up and I'd go up, come back to David and I'd say, David, wow, we can, we can do this. It's only going to take two weeks. And he'd look at me with his, you know, Harvard MD eyes and say, Chris, that's going to take two weeks. I thought that should take two hours. And I'd walk out of my office with my tail between my legs and I'd come, go in it and, and or I walk into my office and I'd get a phone call from one of our customers and, and they'd say, Chris, the data's wrong. If you don't fix it, you're out. And so I'd just be very depressed. And then we hired a whole bunch of smart people and they wanted to use their new tool. Chris, I want to use this tool. I want to try this open source library. I want to innovate in this way. And so for many years, I was just beaten up on the side of the head of go faster, but don't do anything wrong. And let me try some things. And, um, you know, as I tell these stories, I hear different people have different forms uh, of it. Like one of my favorite stories is the, um, the manager of an analytic team on a Saturday morning during his daughter's birthday party, sitting on the edge of the tub in the bathroom, trying to fix a code, trying to fix a bug and a, uh, a data pipeline or maybe a report um, because he had just gotten an email from the CEO. And I just find that, I find that depressing. Like I find the fact that we um, assume that that's the way that we have to work uh, as, as a data and analytic professionals, that we've got to be in the bathroom during our daughter's birthday party. Um, and I just think there's a better way. I think you can build systems that you can know before you put it out to production um, that it's going to work. And you can live a more less a less chaotic and and more um, innovative life. All right, that was my interview with Chris Berg. I'm back here with Mark Marinelli. Um, Mark, Chris gave his argument. Um, why do you believe it's time for organizations to sort of embrace data ops? I think Nate, now is the time because of this nexus of. A huge upsurge in the demand for for good quality data that's been going on for a while but more recently there's breakthrough new technologies like ai and ml um, married with infinite resources of cloud computing we've got all this kit there and we've got tons of work to do and all this is going to go untapped unless we collectively adopt new ways of working uh, with these technologies to broker these data traditional waterfall methodologies, traditional software development, lifecycle type approach to this stuff. Um, it has served us poorly for the last couple of decades. Um, and now these there are attributes of this new tooling that allow us uh, to work differently. Um, so just as we, we look back at SaaS companies, software as a service companies, um, they changed the way that they built software so that they could deliver compelling new functionality rapidly we can at the same time adopt these new technologies and, and methods of working to deliver compelling new data at the same speed and scale that we've seen with the big SaaS companies. Um, but only um, if we 
move be, beyond the traditional tooling and process uh, to more modern frameworks like data ops. Um, data ops is also about choosing from among best of breed technologies to suit your needs. Um, that can be pretty daunting, um, but but with new companies being funded every week uh, to solve specific specialized portions of the problem, um, even though it, it's, it's hard maybe to get the right one, the optionality that you get from being able to take these best of breed loosely coupled uh, technologies, put them together and rip one out as soon as another one comes along that's better is um, that's like a really core principle of data ops. And it's something um, that, that really should be leveraged and is new and novel beyond the sort of monolithic single platform approaches that we've seen in the past. Okay. Well, on that note, thanks to Chris Berg for speaking with me. And thank you, Mark, for your insights. Thanks, Nate. Great talking to you. This has been the Data Masters podcast from Tamer. Our next episode will release in two weeks time. We hope you'll tune in then. Bye for now.